We're glad to be here. Uh, and uh, Katie's got like you know great experiences here. I am uh, I'm, I'm excited to make new experiences, new connections. It was great to be able to be with uh, the, some of the parents and some of the teens last night at PTP as James threw tennis or uh, ping pong balls at us, and we lost some of them. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, but it's great to be together. Thank you so much, James and Elena, for inviting us and for sharing all those fun, fun <laughs> memories. Uh, uh, I love the Rosenquists. James is weird. <laughs> I can say this from like a decade and a half of experience, but James, <laughs> they're like, there's not enough time for all the weird stories about James and how he, how he rearranged the furniture in his room every couple months and how he was part of an acapella group that he would like go around the house practicing the song but the problem is like he was the only one that knew like what the actual song was and he's like doing his, his laundry and it was just this one part of the song that he would sing over it was like and it, like he just go around and like that's the only part of the song that I knew and you sing it over and over again to the point where he's downstairs doing his laundry and he's singing ha and I'm upstairs and I'm singing it back to him I'm like ha it was not great, but it happened. <laughs> There's just not enough time for all the weird stuff that happened there. Elena, thank you so much for making sure I stayed humble. I, I got back at you for dating two of your roommates, and you had to deal with the fallout there. Uh, Elena and I, at some point we, in our cynicism, we both we came up with a series of discouragement cards that we could give to people, you know, encouragement cards, but something like if somebody was sick, like for somebody in the ministry, a disciple would be like, get well soon, or not. Either way, you win. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. <laughs> We're weird. <laughs> Thank God that uh, God allows us to grow and mature. They've matured way more than me. And, uh, but it's so great to be together, and uh, what a perfect segue to talk about eternity. <laughs> Either way, you win. Um, yeah, so... Really cool to be able to come in as you guys are doing, finishing up this series about vision. And as, as we're doing this, as we, we start off, I, I do have a question for you to start to think about, which is, why are you here? Why, why are you here right now? Sunday morning, you could be doing a lot of things. You could be sleeping. I kind of doubt you're here because you just can't get enough of these songs. We have a great worship team. Thank you for singing. It's awesome. But I kind of doubt it's because of that. It's not because you just won't get announcements like this anywhere else. And it's not because you're going to miss football on some of the days that there actually is football at this time of the afternoon. There's something else. There's something deeper. There's something more important. Why are you here? Part of that has to be, as we're talking about eternity and an eternal vision... We have to go to a place that, I'm going to bring you to a place that's going to kind of bum you out. And I just let you know, I'm from D.C. and, and we're going to bum you out. I'm kind of like taxes in that way, from D.C., just make you sad. But going to a place in the future, I want you to imagine it's your funeral day. You're gone. You're in a box. There's going to be people in a room. And someone's going to get up and say something. What do you want that thing that they say to be? 
At that moment, your eyes will be opened to eternity. What will be said about you? What will be said about your life? At that moment, as your eyes are open to eternity, was it clear when you were alive, when you were with us, what you were living for? That why were you here is clear, was clear to everyone around you because it was clear to you. It's an important question to ask because how this whole thing is going to end, what happens in eternity affects us massively of what we do here. Go over to 2 Corinthians 5 with me. Hopefully I didn't bum you out too much. I bummed most of you out or some of you out by being a Ravens fan. Which I am still a Washington fan, but there's some off-the-field things that I've had to suspend my fanship after 20-something years. That's nothing to do with how bad the team is. I can handle that, but you can talk to me more about that. Ravens have always been my second team, so here I am. I didn't just want to stick it to you. Second Corinthians 5, let's talk about eternity. For we know, this is Paul talking, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... That we have a building from God. We have a body from God. A house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, in this body, in this life, we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we'll be unclothed. But that we be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Let's stop there for just a second. You don't belong here. You ever feel like you just, you don't belong somewhere? You like walk into a room and you're just like, these are not my people. I feel that way as a Ravens fan walking in here. Some, some, you know, more aggressive Pittsburgh fans coming up to me. I'm like, I don't belong here. You feel like you're the youngest one in a room of older people. You feel like you're the oldest one in a room full of young people. We, uh, we oversee the youth and family ministry. I've never felt so old in my life. But to be fair, even though I'm like youngish, I walk in there. I'm like, oh, I am 20 years older than our eighth graders. And that makes me very sad. And then I like try to forget that because it's painful. But I'm like, I don't belong here. Sometimes it is really easy to forget that you don't belong here in this world. Yeah, I think if you're here this morning, as we talk about eternity, it's probably not because you don't believe eternity exists. If we're having a difficult time and having an eternal vision, it's not that you don't think that there's eternal life, that there is heaven and hell. It's that we get distracted by what is temporary, by what is mortal, rather than what is eternal. This passage talks about it. We groan. We long for something else, for something that is, that, that, that is not here. We're weighed down by what goes on. We have a hard time having an eternal vision because of everything right here that is frustrating and distracting us. How can I have eternal vision when I got bills to pay? When I have tuition payments? When my car is breaking down? 
when I can't pass, I've got a geometry test on Tuesday. Now, all the things that we experience here that just doesn't, doesn't fit, that we groan, that we buckle under the pressure, we buckle under why it's painful, those things can distract us when they could be. According to this passage, it could be proof of every, every bit of that can be proof that you don't belong here. It could be a distraction or it could be a reminder of what is eternal. Go over to Revelation. We're going to go to the very end. Revelation 21. Okay. You guys still there? Yeah. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. We'll read that. And this is very cool. This is the eternal vision of what we're all hoping for. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Just imagine that for a second. A new heaven and a new earth. A completely new version. I don't even know what that looks like. God invents new colors. All, I hate salad and all vegetables, but all of a sudden, like, vegetables become very delicious to me. There's like a bacon bush somewhere that I could just go and pop that into my mouth. But a new heaven and a new earth. It, the old heaven and old earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And sea for the, the Jewish people represented chaos and fear and uncertainty. All that's gone. All of it. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And I love this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the old things have passed away. And this is my favorite part. And he who was seated on the throne said... Behold, I am making all things new. Right there. Why are you here? Hopefully to some extent it's because you believe that eternally that God is going to make all things new. Amen. That at some point all of this messed up stuff your messed up finances, your messed up relationships, your messed up marriage social injustice issues, wealth disparity, gender relations, class relations, all of it is going to be put new by Jesus. But when? Then. Later. In eternity. Something that's not here right now. But it is hard to have vision of that when all you can see are the things right here, right now. You got to think for yourself, what are the things that you put your hope in that you feel like is going to make all things new? That it's going to make all things better? For you, what are those things? I know for me, in every season of my life, I have had something that is not Jesus be the thing that I'm like, if I just get that or accomplish that, then it will all be better. It will be put right. One point in time when I was in high school, it was if I get into the college that I wanted to get into. 
Once that'll happen, then I'll be independent. I'll be out from my, under my parents' tyranny. I'll be free, and everything will be fine. Everything will be right then. And then I got to college and realized I had no money and very little character, and I was super proud, and Elena reminded me of that all the time. <laughs> Not enough, if you ask my wife. And so at that point, I was like, okay, well, maybe when I graduate and I finally get a job, I'm going to make some money. Then I'll be out from this college tyranny, and everything will be put right. And then I decided to go into the ministry and realize I was going to never have money ever again <laughs> and definitely not make all things right there. And then I realized that being a minister meant dealing with everything that was wrong all the time. <laughs> so that's not going to make everything right. I really thought uh, at one point in time that if I, was gonna, if I could just find the right girl to date and marry, then I will be happy. Everything will be put right. And that search was fruitless for a long, very long time. <laughs> and it was several imploded dating relationships with, with both the Rosenquist had front row seats too. It was great and awful. Clearly, those did not put things right. At different points in time, getting married, having financial stability. I really remember one time that I'm like, if we can just pay off this couch that we bought, if I can just buy the couch, own the couch, then everything will be right in the world. I put a lot of stock in that couch. It was a comfy couch. It still is. It's all stained now. But I got, I mean, how many things for me? I thought a kid would be the thing. Having a kid, and then we had a kid, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no time. I have no sleep. For you, what are the things that you hang your hat on? Saying, if I could just get this, this will make all things new. You can't look at eternity and then look at that same thing. Now that doesn't mean that nothing, everything here is pointless. Kind of the opposite. Everything here means a great deal. But it's how you look at those things. It's how you decide what is important and not important. You can't have an eternal vision if you're looking at these things to save you. Yeah. And this is something that helps me. When I get back to this passage, and I remember Jesus is the one to make all things new. This doesn't happen until he's king of everything. Nothing will be as it should be until he is what he should be. Both eternally and in your life. Nothing will be as it should be until Jesus is what he should be. Katie's going to share a bit now. Hello. So... Uh, I was just thinking about all the things that I have held on to, to think, okay, like then, once I get this, you know, it's going to be perfect. And uh, usually, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, so for me, it has a lot to do with my to-do list. If my to-do list is just completely empty, and it'll just stay there, and, and life will be magical, and I'll be like walking on clouds. But over time, it's also been things like if I could just have the perfect image, the perfect body image, the perfect um, relationship, um, if my marriage could be perfect, if my child could just be perfect and obedient all the time, then I will just be so happy. Life will just be so easy. And I, I tend to fixate on those things a lot. Um, at different times, even dealing with depression and anxiety, I'm like, oh, if God could just fix the inside of me so that I feel good and I feel peaceful and I feel happy, 
then life is just going to be perfect. Everything's going to be great. And obviously, none of those things are true. Um, and for those of you who just love eschatology, which I'm sure is a lot of you out there, um, or no one, there's this whole idea in the scripture that Matt read, or both scriptures, that we live in this time where it's like we're in the already but the not yet. Like Jesus has already come and he's brought his kingdom, but yet we're also waiting for the kingdom and we're waiting for this new creation. We're waiting for eternity. And it's so much easier to just be like, oh my gosh, God, I just can't wait for you to, can you just show up now, please? Like I just, Jesus, come now. I'm just done. Rather than thinking about, wait, how can I bring God's kingdom and his eternity here and now. What is, what, if Eden was here, if eternity was here, if the new creation was here, what would God have me doing? What would I be living like? What would I be treating people like? What would I be building with God? Even what did God create me for right here, right now, to bring eternity here, to bring his kingdom here? And usually that has very little to do with my personal plans um, for the day or for my life or even for my family. And so when I'm thinking about how can I partner with God in bringing his kingdom and his eternity here now, it's very different from what I tend to have planned for the day. And so I just want to encourage us all to think about even as we're waiting for that eternity and we are looking forward to it, and I can't wait until there's no pain and no more tears and no more abuse and no more torture and these things, but how can I bring that here and now? How can I partner with God in building that today? Thanks, babe. That's awesome. Yeah, Massey's right there. She's great. So to challenge you, let's go back to your funeral day. Your eyes are open to eternity. Are you going to care about what couch you've got? Are you going to care about what car you drove, your position at work, what's in your bank account? No, your eyes are open to eternity. What actually matters? Go back to 2 Corinthians 5. And in verse 8, I don't have time to wait because we've you know, got to get some other stuff. Yes. We are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If you're a disciple and have given your life to Jesus, that's a happy day. That's the best day that's ever going to happen to you in your entire existence. But if you're sitting here and you're not a disciple, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, that day is going to be the low point. I don't want to scare anybody. I'm not really a fire and brimstone guy. But there's a reality that if you live your life for temporary things, for mortal things, those things are going to die with you. And then you have eternity to contend with. When you're looking at God, and you say, well, this relationship was really important. I was going to get to you, but this relationship was more important. This promotion. This thing, this that thing, this degree, this accomplishment. Standing before God with our eyes to eternity, 
It doesn't seem to make so much sense. For you, where are you with that? Is your vision cramped, crowded with distractions, with mortal things? Or are your eyes open to eternity? Saying, you know what? I did my best. And this is my forever. I beg you, if you're not a disciple, please study the Bible. Let us help you see that it's not just about being religious or showing up to church on Sunday, but this is so much greater. This is about your soul and about your eternity. Give your life to things that last. If the first question we looked at was, why are you here? My second question is, why are you here? Like, how did you get here? And the answer is that somebody brought you. Somebody helped you. It could be your parents dragged you at some point. Maybe teens, maybe your parents dragged you this morning. Maybe it was somebody back in college or or back, you know, years ago that somebody brought you and said, hey, why don't you come on out? And you met Jesus at some kind of Bible something. You're here because somebody brought you here. Why are you here? That. God used someone to get you here. And so, if we've got our eyes open to eternity, it can't just be your eternity. It has to be for everyone's eternity. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 11, so right after that judgment thing, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Skip down to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Which the Greek there would be syntyche, which would be to be bound together or dominated, forced, controlled. It's a wonderful word. Go and look that up. I feel like I had to put Greek in there somewhere now that James outed me as a nerd. But the power of Christ compels us so we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised again. And skipping down to verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If your eyes are open to eternity, if we're Christians here, we say we're living for eternity, but we care about no one else's eternity, we're not understanding what eternity means. Because we have to look and say, like, you know the only things that are eternal? It's like God, his word, you look at Revelation, our prayers, which is a cool thing, and souls. Going back to the couch, couches don't matter, money doesn't matter, cars, accomplishments, that doesn't matter, but souls do. Souls go on. The only thing that's going to be there is God and souls. Without opening our eyes to the mission of bringing as many people as possible along with us to help their eyes to open to eternity, we've missed something massive. And it's not as though like everything's on you that you have to go and save everybody's souls, that you have to pull everybody out of the fire. No, this is something that you partner with with God. You start it. You become an ambassador. You're like, I am no one. I'm just a messenger. Let me bring you to the king who's going to make all things right. To make all things new, including you. But what is it that stops us? Well, a lot of things. There are a ton of things that stop us. For, for me, 
two things. Right now, it is straight up busyness of I'm going to the stores, I'm going to the different places I go to, and I just, I got to get this thing done so I can go home and get other things done because I have an 18-month-old that's probably driving my wife crazy. But we love her, and she's great. And I just forget that it's not just my eternity on the line, it's my cashier's eternity. It's my neighbor's eternity. It's your friends, it's your co-workers' eternity. Have you gotten crowded out and distracted by mortal things and taken your eyes off the eternal things? Katie's going to share some stuff. Yeah, so thinking about the question, why am I here? Uh, I'm here because several different people didn't give up on me. And I was actually first reached out to my freshman year of college, and I gave the girl my email, so I was one of those people. And I actually did email her back, funny enough, which really surprises me, but then I, I stopped e- emailing her back. I never actually, you know, had a Bible study with her or went to Bible talk or anything like that. Um, but she reached out to me, and then my roommate actually ended up becoming a disciple the following year. And she... Be- when she became a disciple, well, even when she started studying the Bible and then became a disciple, I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Totally thought that she was like in some religious um, extremist group. I was like, who reads their Bible every day? Nobody does that. Christians don't do that. Who, why is she hanging out with these Christian church people all the time? I'm like, she doesn't want to hang out with me anymore. She doesn't want to party with me anymore. She doesn't want to drink with me anymore. Like, I don't understand her reasoning. I really did not get it, even though I grew up in a religious home. And, and I thought all of the changes she was making was, were really weird. Um, and yet she kept inviting me out to church. And I thought of every excuse in the book for months. Even though, funny enough, somewhere in me, like, I was, I, I knew or knew God was the answer, knew I needed to get back to that at some point. I literally had like a sticky note on my board that was like, go to church. And then I had all these opportunities and I was like, meh. So it didn't really make sense. But eventually, eventually, she wore me down and I didn't have any more excuses and I went. But it was because she was persistent. I mean, I just think about what if she hadn't asked that one last time? I would not be here. And it was actually at the very end of um, our, our sophomore year living together. The next year, I'd, I don't think I lived with her. And so if she just hadn't even asked that one last time, I wouldn't be here. If she hadn't kept persisting with me, no matter how many times I said no, I wouldn't be here. And so it makes me think about the people who tried with me and then even the people who studied with me. And then after I became a Christian, the people who spoke the truth and loved me so many times when I was ready to give up, when I was ready to walk away. So I encourage you to think about why, why are you here? And, and I hope that brings an inspiration, a love to you to think about you want to be that person for somebody else. Awesome. Thanks, babe. For me, why am I here? <clears throat> Mine's a bit of a longer story. Go back to, I think, 1990. There was a sister that was at a mall. It was like one of those campaign things where you, you go and you just try to share with as many people as possible. 
and uh, the sister was a really hot July night, and uh, or August night, and uh, she she goes and she's looking around and she, you know, on the other side of one of those fountain things in the mall, like the little jumping fountains, she eyes this woman who is uh, clearly sad, but is watching a watching her like two year old son just kind of bounce around and clearly she's smiling and doing the thing that's that young moms do, smiling but clearly exhausted. And this sister looks at her, she smiles at her. This woman, the mom, smiles back and she goes over, she talks to her. Four minute conversation, inviting this woman, this mother, out to church one time. Mother says, I'll think about it. A couple weeks later, she comes out to church, loves it. Grew up Catholic, went to a Christian school, had her heart cut open by the scriptures. She brings her husband. They start studying the Bible. There's another couple that just happened to work at the husband's job. They study the Bible. Those two get baptized. That couple has three sons. They all study the Bible. They get baptized. They study the Bible with a bunch of people. Two of them go into ministry in different capacities. That woman at the fountain was my mom. I'm going to get emotional. The one sister on the other side of that fountain had a four-minute conversation. For her, it was minutes. For my family, it was millennia. It affected our eternity. Now, both my parents are disciples. My two younger brothers are disciples. I've married a disciple. My one brother's engaged to a disciple. Another one, my youngest brother is married to a disciple. We've got kids. We study the Bible with a ton of people to help them become disciples. I study the Bible and, and put people into the ministry that have gone and led churches in different places. There was a four-minute conversation that has impacted thousands of people at this point and has now impacted you because you're hearing the story. Four minutes. Four minutes change lives. Four minutes change eternity. You guys ever seen that thing where somebody's got a rope that measures eternity and they're trying to show you that your life is like this little section and the rope stretches off? That conversation was like the size of an atom. And yet it affected my entire family's eternity. That can be you. But you got to take four minutes and talk to somebody. Four minutes, four seconds, 40 seconds to invite somebody to something can change lives. Four meals. You have a couple meals with someone, with a coworker, with a neighbor. It can change eternities. But it won't happen if your eyes aren't open to eternity. If they're only open to your bank account, to your GPA, to what's going on right here, right now. If you do that, you miss out on eternity. And who, you, who knows who else misses out on eternity? That one day in the future, when you're in a box, it won't matter those other things. Your eyes open to eternity. You're like, yes! And when you see the other people that you have brought with you, there will be nothing like it. And you will experience what it was supposed to be like. Because you looked at eternity when you were mortal. And you cared more about that for you and for others. 
But if not, you might make it. But it'll be kind of a lonelier party. God wants to do incredible things here in Pittsburgh. God wants to do great things in your neighborhood and your job and wherever else you set your foot. But it will have a shelf life compared to what will happen if your eyes are open to eternity long before they're ever actually open to eternity. Brothers and sisters, why are you here? Because Jesus' love and his death, his resurrection shows you that there's something more than this. And you want to live for that, not what's fading away. And why are you here? Because somebody looked at you and saw your eternity. And we can fill gymnasium after gymnasium and stadium after stadium if we give four minutes less than that to let God take someone's eternity and make it right forever. Let's open our eyes, have great eternal vision, and live the life God designed us to live. Amen.